Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clean. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Welcome, everyone, to episode 188 of the NBA podcast. I'm Brian Taporic, and today we're going to revisit some of our preseason predictions. We've reached the quarter mark of the 2018-19 NBA season. So we're going to check in on all the awards races, see how our preseason predictions are holding up, Let's just say my most improved player take has not aged well. Before we get underway, a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find our Twitter handles, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. And we're now being hosted on Spreaker, so check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Joining me today, as always, is my very stable genius of a co-host, Morton Jensen. How's it going, Mort? You know what? It's going great, Brian, because I, I feel like I, I saw the trait last night, and now I feel like if I'm 37 years old, I'll still have significant value. <laughs> sure. If you're one of the best three-point shooters in NBA history, then yes, you Well, will. no, but I am one of the best eaters of all time. Okay. There there you go. That's something. So, yeah, let's. we, need to, we did have a trade last night, a real blockbuster. Let's talk about that before we go into our awards picks for the first quarter of the season. Kyle Korver going back to the Utah Jazz. In return, the Cleveland Cavaliers will be getting two second-round picks and Alec Burks. How do you feel about the deal? For Let's start with Utah. I, I feel the price was a little bit steep, mm. but I get the logic. They need a shooter who can really space the floor, who can really just help integrate their offense a little bit easier. Like People look at Kyle and they think, oh, that's, that's like a a one-dimensional player, and he is, but he adds dimensions to the court simply by being this very <laughs> isolated, you know, three-point shooter because the degree of which he's so good at that he'll draw everyone out. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like a typical three-point shooter where you just, you know, oh, I'll I'll sack off him a little bit and I'll, then I'll recover. No, you have to stick on Kyle, right. like, immediately and always. So that adds some layers. Having said that, like, Alec Burks... You know he's been injured a lot, but he's ha- he's he's a good, pretty good scorer, mm-hmm. and I feel they didn't really could they couldn't really afford to lose a score. I don't know, and I, I get the two second round draft picks, like that's fine, but the inclusion of Alec Burks, and I know that it had to work out financially, mm-hmm. so it makes sense, but yeah, it's it's a drastic payoff. Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, he, I think the logic from Utah's side is right now they are twenty eighth. In three-point percentage, they're shooting 31.9% from three as a team. As you said, Kyle Korver, it's all about gravity with him. Like, Alec Burks is a pretty good three-point shooter. I mean, he's shooting 37% this year. Korver is above 40% every year, probably until he turns 50. 
So he's mm-hmm. going to just have more gravity, which should in turn allow for more spacing for Donovan Mitchell. I mean, right now, the only the only Jazz player shooting above 35% from three while taking more than two three-point attempts per game is Joe Ingles. He's at 38.5%. That's not counting no. Burks, who is now a Cleveland Cavalier. Like, Georges Niang and Royce O'Neal are low volume, but they're shooting 37.5 and 34.8, respectively. After that, it's Ricky Rubio, 4.3 attempts per game, 31.6%. Jay Crowder, 6.2 three-point attempts per game, 29.2%. So they've just had, I mean, they've, they've been getting, like, their, their shot volume of three-pointers, they're 10th in the league, but they're just not hitting them. So getting mm-hmm. a guy in Kyle Korver who will actually hit them, there you go. I'm, yeah. I'm with you. Like, it was a lot to give up, but... You know, Corver is pretty cheap, relatively speaking. I mean, he's about seven point five million this year. I think around the same next year. Only three point four million of that is guaranteed, but I'm gonna guess the Jazz are gonna want to keep him around because they're not really gonna have cap space to play around with if he leaves. Depending on what happens, I mean, depending on what happens with Rubio and Derek Favors, they could, but we'll see there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, look, I like it for Utah. So we we were talking about this. I think last episode or two episodes ago about they just didn't have anyone offensively aside from Donovan Mitchell. And you're not going to call upon Corver to create his own shot. So they still have the same problem of like, you still don't have that many shot creators, but at least now you have a second reliable shot maker. This is true. I mean, and, and, and you know, to be fair, even though he hasn't been a high volume scorer on his career, like he's averaging ten points mm-hmm. for, for his career, it, again, it's not about his uh, individual offensive output. It what it's really what it opens up for for others. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like he will have games where he does get hot and hits like seven triples, mm-hmm. which you need to feed off, and then you need to like just use that. Like if he's hit four or five, you you make sure that you. Either find him or you use the space that he's basically creating for everyone else on the court. Right. It's just he's a layered player. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's also something to be said for the fact that he has deep playoff experience now, having come from the Cavs. I mean, and the Hawks before that. Like, you know, he's played yep. deep into the playoffs three of the last four years, which, you know, the Jazz are hoping that they are that caliber team that they will be going to round two or the conference finals or even the NBA finals, having that guy provide that experience or having like that locker room leadership, I think is is valuable. So Mm. I, I agree. They gave up a pretty hefty chunk to get him, but I understand why. Uh, What do you think about it from Cleveland side? Well, I like it. I mean, obviously Burks is expiring anyway, so Mm -hmm. they're not taking like a, a long-term cap hit. They're getting two second-rounders from a guy who's about to turn 38 and didn't really fit into their future plans. This is what rebuilding teams should do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to guess J.R. Smith and George Hill are next out the door, and they, as yep. they should be. It, it might w- wait until close to the trade deadline or after December 15th, which is when guys who signed free agent contracts this past summer can be traded. So it might not happen right away, but... Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is the first of many moves from Cleveland between now and the trade deadline. And as you said, this is what they should do because they're going nowhere. They're, what, like 4-16 yeah. and 16 right now? I mean, 
if anything, they're only helping their chances of getting a top four pick or top five pick, I guess. Because mm. Kim and Love probably too, by the way. Ooh, yeah. Mm. That I mean yeah. that that one's gonna be trickier to move, but because like Jr. and George Hill aren't guaranteed that much after this year. So if the Cavs are w- willing to take back long term salary, you know, like take on a two or three year deal just to help another team create 2019 space, they could probably get, I would assume, either a decent prospect or some pretty good draft compensation for that. Whereas Love, it's more like, all right, we're just going to hope that some contender has a bunch of bad salary, wants to get off of that, and thinks that Kevin Love can help them mm. compete right away. Right. Isn't I mean... I think they kept him to basically Blake Griffin him. Yeah. But the thing is, Griffin probably had a little bit more trade value and is just flat out the better player at this point. Right. So, it, I mean, I get that people compare the situations. And, and yeah, stylistically, the situations are aligned. Mm-hmm. But from a, a a talent perspective, it's probably not as attractive. Yeah. Yeah, and he's also caught dealing with this injury that is going to yeah. potentially sideline him into 2019. So there's just there's more uncertainty there. Like I would assume, I would assume George Hill is the next one to go. I think it's going to be mm. trickier to find a taker for J.R. Smith unless it's really just like give us your bad contract as long as it comes back with picks. Yeah, I would agree. I, I hope they buy him out just to make that quote of his <laughs> look extra weird. Oh, it's so dumb. So, so dumb. Okay, so let's now go. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids' and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 8 select styles excludes in-store clearance went to our award takes for the first quarter of the season uh i went back and listened to our episode prior to the season in which we gave our preseason predictions so i'm gonna remind people who we picked for each award and then we can discuss uh where those award races stand so let's start with mvp you and i both picked Giannis as Mm -hmm. mvp how you feeling about that I'm feeling good. I mean, there are some other candidates, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I am probably leaning towards Anthony Davis at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Having said that, before we start recording, you reminded me, you know, Davis has been banged up a little bit. Like, he isn't as healthy as he was initially, and you're right. So we'll have to see how that goes. But if his body becomes straight up again and he's just, like, dropping 35 and 20 on on fools, I mean... Then it's pr- going to be pretty hard to to ignore him. Yeah, Giannis is on a nice little track, and what's really frightening is just the way that he plays right now. Because I don't even feel that he's given a hundred percent. Like he's he's coasting. I think he dropped thirty six. Was it thirty six on the Bulls last night? Something along those lines, and he just did it in the most casual way <laughs> you could ever imagine. And like, and he, he did it by having some crazy dunks, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Robin Lopez, on Jabari Parker, like he dunked on everyone, but even so, it was just like a ho hum intensity game for him, right? Which is just so weird. Like a twenty three year old dropping thirty six 
with with just mild intensity. Yeah. Good lord. It was he had 36 points on 14 of 21 shooting, 11 rebounds and 8 assists, 2 steals and yeah. a block. And it was just kind of like a in the flow <laughs> right. taking a back seat mentality. Right. Yeah, I mean, so listening back, you know, you're you voiced concern about well, you know, Giannis, we both figured the Bucks were going to be better this year. We thought Bud was going to help. We thought Giannis is just going to take another step forward. Your big concern with him was, well, what if his production drops off because he's playing fewer minutes per game under Bud than he did right. last year? He is playing almost three fewer minutes per game this year. His production, however, has not mm-hmm. dropped off. It's either gone up or stayed. I mean, he's a, or averaging around the same in terms of scoring. He was 26.9 last year. He's 27.3 right now. He's averaging almost three rebounds more than he did last year at 12.9. He's averaging 6.0 assists, also a career high. Mm-hmm. 1.4, 1.5 steals, 1.3 blocks. Shooting a career high 57.7% from the field. His Bucks are second place in the East, trailing only the Toronto Raptors. I think right now, I think he's the clear choice for MVP. I mean, I, I know people are like, oh, he needs a three-point shot. You know, he's shooting 11.8% from three this year. He's only 6 of 51 on the year. That'll come around, and even if it doesn't, I mean, you know, he shot in the low 300s last year. He shot in the 200s the two years before that. Even if he doesn't, he's doing all of this without being able to hit a three. Like, when he hits a three, it's game over. Like, that's it for the rest of the league for the next 10 years. I mean, oh yeah, the kid's not even 24 yet. He turns 24 in December, and he's, he's putting out 27, 13, and 6. And now imagine when he starts hitting like 80 from the line at one point. Yeah. Because he's he's actually having a down year from the free throw line. Yeah, right. 68%. Despite drawing a career high nine attempts per game. Yeah. Like, if this is him scratching the surface of his potential, I don't want to be around in three years when he hits that potential. All right. So <laughs> am I getting partial credit for what I said on the pod when we had TJ McBride on? Yeah. When I said that he was going to be the guy who is just going to be the league's best player for the next seven years, yeah, eight years, I, I, whatever. It's not even partial credit. I, I think it's mm-hmm. it's hard to deny at this point. Like once you know LeBron is gonna be around for the next five or so years, and then like KD and Steph and Harden and Russ will be that like next generation. But then like this. <laughs> third generation i guess is like Giannis, brow and Embiid. i think those mm-hmm. are the three guys who are really going to be the face of that era yeah so where does Doncic fit in like the, the next generation yeah i would think so i mean because yeah. you know Giannis, brow and Embiid were all like the early 2010s draft classes i know we didn't see yeah, Embiid right. until 2016 but he was drafted in 2014 so yeah like Doncic and then God, Zion probably will be. Oh yeah, that that's like the next half generation. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So you mentioned Anthony Davis as a legit MVP candidate. I don't think there's any argument there. Can I go full Homer for a minute and talk about Joel Embiid? More Sixers, Brian? Really? <laughs> I tell me I'm wrong. Tell me Joel Embiid shouldn't be in the MVP conversation right now. You're not wrong. You're not wrong whatsoever. I'm just tired of talking about Philly, but I get it. <laughs> No, uh, can I take it then? Yeah, by all means. Yeah, all right. 
So, and I'm going to borrow some of your points so you get your points across as well. Thank you. Yes. A couple years ago, nobody really knew if Joel Embiid was ever going to play basketball. <laughs> right. Two years ago. Can, two years ago. Can we just put that into perspective? Yeah. And now he's averaging 28 points, two blocks, 13 and a half boards, and almost four assists. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and he cut down his turnovers. He's playing more he, minutes per game than ever, and he cut down his turnovers. Right. So his shot selection is still sometimes awful. Right. That is something that he's really going to need to work on because, damn. Yeah. And, and that's also why I don't have him as a the leading candidate as yeah. of right now. Mm-hmm. But honestly, that's really the entire counter-argument I have to an MVP campaign for him. Like, it's the shot selection. Like, defensively, he's there. Rebounding, he's there. Playmaking, he's there. Scoring, he's there. The team's winning. Like, everything else fits together. He just needs to up the efficiency and understand what a good shot is. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is he just attempts a lot of shots with a high degree of difficulty. Like, against the Knicks on Wednesday, his first shot was basically a skyhook over Ennis Cantor, and it went in. But, like, you watch it, and you're just like, God damn, how is is that in his repertoire? And, like, how it's a, a reliable shot. Like, that's... I don't think he goes back to the bench after that and Brett Brown gives him the Patrick Ewing treatment. Like, what is that shot? You ever practice that shot? Like, <laughs> yeah, he does. And he hits it reliably. Yeah. It's just a, you know, it's a higher degree of difficulty than like a dunk or a layup or even a, you know, right. a close range jumper. So you're right though. I mean, like he's a big man. You would like to see him shoot at least 50% from the field. He's at 47.4 right now. He's attempting a career high 4.33s per game, only hitting them, you know, at the same around 30% clip that he did last year as well. Ideally, that would go up. Uh, I think also there there might be, I feel like we're, for, there are two thoughts with Embiid. One, like, I just think all of the Sixers drama this year between, like, this ongoing Markel Fultz saga, which we'll tackle in another episode once these endless meetings with specialists we have some resolution to that so in a couple years time (laughs) yeah probably once he's in phoenix or cleveland or atlanta or wherever uh so between that and the jimmy butler stuff like that's just trading for him and integrating him blah 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 it just feels like Embiid isn't getting the hype that he should be for having this kind of a season which as you said like if Going from not even knowing what you were going to get two years ago to this is remarkable. Like, this guy should be one of the stories of the NBA season. But instead, it's like, oh, he's dropping 30-10 every night. Ho-hum. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Right. Uh, And two, I wonder if there's going to be some kind of a heel turn. Because he's basically trying to turn into, like, 7'2 James Harden. You know, he's averaging 10.6 free throw attempts per game. I mean, he is actively seeking out contact. He is trying to get people in foul trouble, which is... Which you should, by the way. Right, exactly. Like, that's smart strategy. He's... You know who else tried to... Or, like, you know who else drew a bunch of free throw attempts per game? Because he was so physically imposing and dominating and just, like, no one could stop him once he got the ball in the post? Shaquille O'Neal. Right. You know the difference between Shaq and Joel Embiid? Joel Embiid can hit, hit his free throws. Exactly. He's shooting 80% from the line. Like, that's smart strategy. It, it, I guess it's a form of stat padding in a way. Like, he's scoring more points than... Wait, it, wait, no. No, no, no. 
no, 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 no. Let, no, now you now you're catering to to the the audience that are like anti free throws here. No, right. well, that's, no, it's not. Yeah. It's not stat padding. Like he's doing his. You 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 said it yourself. Like he's doing the team a service. He's fouling out players, and that forces the opponent coach to go deeper deeper down on the bench to get lower quality players. Mm-hmm. Meaning it provides Philly with a greater chance of winning the ball game, yep. and it provides. Joel, you know, individually with more bodies to feast on. Right. Yeah, no, I, I don't believe the stat padding argument, but like in terms of his field goal percentage and his field goal attempts oh, per right, game, right. like he's scoring more than that would suggest because of his free throw attempts. But as you said, that's the smart strategy. Getting mm-hmm. opposing starting centers in trouble and then <laughs> destroying their backups is exactly what he should be doing. You know, that's what you took him to the task for coming into the season was his shot selection. And like you just said, just like go to work near the basket. No one can stop you. And now he's right. taking that advice. I just wonder if there's going to be like, you know, kind of a heel turn like there has been on Harden where it's just like, oh, all this guy does is flops and draws free throws. And it's not like aesthetically pleasing basketball, which, you know, I agree. A free throw parade every night isn't the most fun thing to watch, but... Unless someone could stop him from doing it. What's no, I, I look, the heel turn was always dumb. Yeah. Like, James Harden was just doing what he had to do. Mm-hmm. What I have a problem with in regards to Embiid and the shot selection is really the mid-range shot. Like, where he mm-hmm. tries to, like, herky-jerky his way into, <laughs> yeah. like, a step-back fadeaway. Yeah. Like, no, dude, you're seven foot two, 280, 285, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like at 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 no point do I want to see you take a fadeaway seventeen foot jump <laughs> uh, jump shot off the right, dribble. Right. There's no way I want you to, to take that ever again. Yeah. Don't. To his credit, he is taking a lower volume of attempts from ten to sixteen feet than he did last yes. year, and from sixteen feet to three point range. So that right that has been nice to see a lot a lot more from three to ten career high. Uh, almost twenty three percent of his shot attempts are from. Three to ten feet from the basket. So, look, I, I still have Giannis as MVP, and I think he's going to win it because, as you said, Anthony Davis, I just I just don't know if he's going to play 75 games, and I feel like he's going to need to to keep up with Giannis. And frankly, I'd say the same about Embiid. Like, I, you know, I'm, I am thrilled every minute that man stays on the court because it just feels like it is a ticking time bomb at some point. I hope not, but... Lord, like I'm just enjoying what he's doing while I can, because it's, I mean, it's unreal. It's just, it, it's truly, it's just so absurd. You know, he just hasn't been playing high level, like high level basketball for that long. Agreed. Is this where I am going to jinx him by telling you that he actually leads the league in games played right now? I know, I know, and he's playing. You know, like even last year he came into the year with minute restrictions. Now he's playing back to backs, no problem. He's averaging almost thirty five minutes a game. Like, just if you could tell me two years ago that this was gonna be like zoom ahead two seasons and you have Ben Simmons, you know Jimmy Butler, and Joel Embiid averaging twenty eight and thirteen a night, I wouldn't believe you. Yep. The return of the big, but different. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's go into Rookie of the Year now. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! 
This next one's for you too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Oh, I I think. All right, all right. <laughs> Can I cover that whole segment? Yeah. Well, I'll just lead off by saying both of us had both of us had Luka Doncic as our preseason pick. Enough said. Moving on. <laughs> you don't want to give any credit to Jaron Jackson, DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, sure I do. Trey They're Ayton, great. Or Trey Young. Trey sorry. Ayton. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that would be one hell of a combo. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I do. They've been great. Luka's been better. Moving on. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I, I Look, I agree. I, I don't think there's any concept. Those guys I have mean, been we- really good, but... Right. It's, yeah. I mean, we can talk about, like, the weirdness, you know, of the whole, could Luka Doncic have functioned in the NCAA? <laughs> I will spend 20 minutes on that gladly. Right. Because that was just as dumb as it was, you know, back then. It, it, I see some of those posts now. Yeah. So it's, it's just even more stupid now than it was back then. Hey, he's averaging like, 19, 6, and 4 in the NBA. But could he have beaten Kentucky last year? I don't know. Yeah. Jury's still out. Oh, he he would have been shut down by Ohio State. <laughs> yeah. Luka Doncic versus Vanderbilt. Oh no. <laughs> I will say God. this. I'm surprised he's I mean he's hitting almost forty percent from three. Right. I'm surprised by that. Why? I didn't think that was his strength coming out of co- or coming out of Oh, I told you, man. I, I told you he was going to become an elite shooter. It's just a matter of his body maturing and him. You know, understanding, you know, how to set his feet right. Like, that rotation, the body control. Mm-hmm. No, man. He's he's going to be one of those elite, elite shooters. Like, remember when when Kevin Love was really beginning to break out and he really showed us how, how good of a shooter he is? Yeah. It's something, it's, it's something like that, only better. Yeah. Luka is going to be one of those guys who's going to end up shooting, at the very least, 38, 39% for his career. From outside. I guess my surprise is because he shot, what, like 30, 31% last year from three. Right, as the focal point. Yeah. And then like that's the thing. 34.7 the year before that. Yeah, I, I just mm. didn't expect him to come on this quickly as this good of a three-point shooter. This The, the same logic to Luke applies to, to Donovan Mitchell, really, mm. from last year. Mm-hmm. There is something different when you you enter the NBA when you have more talented teammates. Yeah. Because that enhances your own ability That's to certain true. points. Yeah. And I think I think Luca and Donovan are just perfect examples of that. Mm-hmm. You know, for for Donovan especially like just having a a, a widened court, just right. having more places, you know, and more space to operate. Like in college, I feel the lack of spacing can be problematic because if you beat your guy, the court is so small that for for a different defender to rotate over is quicker. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the league, because everything is spaced out more and you have that extra space, when you get by your man, you can actually, you know, get those, you know, the first step, the second step, and the first step in front of him, and you really gain momentum that to, can take you into the paint. Whereas in college, like, you, you can't really get up to that same speed. Right. Yeah. That, all that is fair. I mean... Really, I just wanted to let you gush about Luca for a couple minutes because I know. Oh, he's great. Yeah. He can, can, can we talk about NBA teams thinking that he's like seventh or eighth on the draft board? <laughs> Hi, so, Sacramento. Yeah. Look, look, I mean, Jonathan Giovanni was on Voce's pod where he said that. I'm just still flabbergasted that some teams out there are like, 
oh no, Luca is like the seventh or eighth best player on on our draft board. Yeah, like that. That just you know what that is to me. Like we should we should get a list of the teams who had that because then we can identify immediately what a badly or badly run organization is. Right, like teams that are just not going to succeed in the short term. Because if you're discounting that, then you're just discounting all non NCAA competition, which right. is dumb. Like. Just look at the Spurs for the last 15 years. Longer. That's been 20, 25 years. Like, international players can play basketball well, too. This isn't breaking news, but apparently it is for some NBA teams still. Which is just infuriatingly frustrating. Yeah. But, hey, I mean, that, that means the ones that are poorly run, that only makes it easier for the ones that are well run to get those prospects. Mm-hmm. I hope they never catch on because it's... It, it, one of the biggest market inefficiencies in the NBA right now is teams that do or do not respect international competition. The ones that do have a huge leg up. But it's fun, though, because we were just talking about MVP. Mm-hmm. We talked about Joel Embiid and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah. Ain't none of those are American. <laughs> right, exactly. That's what I'm saying. If yep. Another market inefficiency right there. Like, that mm-hmm. was the Bucks took a, on a faith pick, a super raw kid from Greece. Six years later, he's the leading candidate for MVP. Right. Speaking of the Bucks, let's go into Coach of the Year. I listened back, and my first reaction was, please, God, tell me I was not a coward and picked Brad Stevens over Mike Budenholzer. <laughs> Thankfully, I did not. I picked Bud. You had yes, you did. your perennial Coach of the Year pick. You had Greg Popovich, which with yep. some well-reasoned logic of, Look at what they lost. How does anyone get this team into the playoffs? If they do, right. Pop, Pop should be coach of the year. That and also he's just not ever had enough coach of the year. <laughs> right, yeah. Your your yeah. permanent mission to get it renamed the Greg Popovich Coach of the Year Award. Looks Correct. Like, yeah. Uh, where do you think coach of the year, how does it shape up after this first quarter of the season? Oh, bud. But for sure, like, look, I don't think, I mean, you, you know, my 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 Greg Popovich homerism aside, mm-hmm. you know, this was a perfect marriage for Giannis and 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 Bud right from the get go. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, like Coach Bud has you know international experience. He he was here in Denmark actually, um, used to play, and I think that connection is so stellar, especially for a guy like Giannis. Yeah. Just had knowing, oh, you you've been around out there. Mm-hmm. You haven't just been in this very closed off you know, ecosystem that is the NBA. You've seen the world. You've seen like what Danish how Danish clubs travel. Mm-hmm. That's with a broken ass down bus. And yeah, that's I think he appreciates that a lot because he's come up in that circuit as well. Um and and at, as an aside, like Bud understood how do I maximize the efforts yeah. of Giannis? Yeah. Like, oh, here's an idea. I have, you know, potentially the most devastating uh, free runner of all time in, in terms of the NBA, a guy who can just, you know, dominate and transition. Yeah. Let me flank him with shooters. <laughs> right. Here's the thought. Like, let's attack this from a logical standpoint that Jason Kidd just could not for some <laughs> somehow comprehend. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting. So I, I'm I'm with you. I, I have not moved off of my bud pick. And, you know, my preseason rationale was just that. It was like, 
the Bucks were just so mismanaged the last couple of years that putting a good coach in Mike Budenholzer, who runs a modern offense, is going to transform this team, make them significantly better. You know, mm-hmm. if they're a top two, top three seed in the East, it's a pretty easy narrative case for him to make. I think, would you agree with this, that the other top contender right now is Nick Nurse? Yeah, yeah, I would. I would. I he, he's I mean look the the Raptors have just played incredibly and he's a big part of that. Yeah. So I think what's interesting is for both Nurse and Bud, probably to a lesser degree Bud the Nurse, but the front office also deserves a lot of credit for the start that those teams have had. Like mm-hmm. you know with <laughs> with the Raptors getting Kawhi Leonard turned out to be a good deal and getting Danny Green who was not just a throw-in turned out to be a really yep. big deal. Like, Nurse obviously deserves credit for, you know, shuffling his rotations and, impl- like, further implementing the offensive system he had last year. So, like, you know, I'm not saying it's all, like, Masai Ujiri deserves all the credit and Nick Nurse deserves none, but I'm also not saying Nick Nurse deserves all the credit and Masai Ujiri deserves none. And then right. for the Bucks too, it's like, yeah, Jason Kidd didn't line the floor with shooters last year. So the Bucks went out and got Brooke Lopez with the biannual exception. They got Ursan Ilyasova. And now all of a sudden it's like, oh, you could just put Brooke Lopez spotting up in the corner. And now he draws out a defender. And now Giannis mm. could just, as you said, run into the lane and transition and destroy people. Yeah. So Now imagine if they trade Eric Bledsoe for a shooting point guard. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Or maybe, maybe... Maybe I'm actually overthinking that because maybe they do need a secondary slasher. Right. Yeah, I mean, Bledsoe's played pretty well this year, all things considered. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. No, no. That's not me, like, being negative about it. Yeah, him. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a good player. I, I just had this idea that, you know, maybe he's not actually, you know, the, the best type of player you can put next to Giannis. But then again, he might not need to be. Like, right. maybe you just outweigh, oh, you know, this considerable talent that is Eric Bledsoe. Because then you can unleash that when he when Giannis is on the bench and in a playoff setting, like talent trumps everything. Yeah. Are you thinking a shooting like what the Nuggets are doing with Jamal Murray and Jokic, right. or like? Yeah, that that's what I was thinking. Okay. Like trying to get a guy who could just, yeah, who could just hit the three ball at like a forty two, forty three percent clip on high volume, right? Yeah. Hey, yeah. they have Delhi still. They have Delhi, who is that type of player. Yeah. Um, that is true. But but I mean. Yeah, you're right. Why ruin a good thing? And by the way, I'm I'm reading some stats here that are just ridiculous. So Milwaukee is leading the league in two-point field goal percentage. Wow. 59%. That's outrageous. 59%. All right. And we just spoke about Eric Bledsoe, right? Yeah. He's taking 6.4 two-pointers a game. He's making four of them. He's shooting 62% on twos. Wow. Giannis... 65% 65% on twos. 653 to be accurate. But, I mean, that just goes to show that not only are they attacking... They're attacking from the outside because they lead the league in three-pointers made and attempted. Mm-hmm. But they're also clever about what type of open shots they take from the two-point line. Yeah. <laughs> two-point line, the two-point area. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they aren't just, you know, jacking up weird, you know, Joel Embiid fadeaway 17-footers. <laughs> right. Like, they're actually committing to trying to, you know... It, there's a more ball element to this. Yeah. 
Oh, for sure. I mean, you're right. I, I just think it's very clear that they are running a much better system than they did last year, and I think I think the narrative probably plays more in favor of Bud for that reason because they were so mm-hmm. underwhelming, whereas the Raptors were a great regular season team last year. You know, Nick Nurse's real test is going to come in the playoffs, frankly. So even if they win 62-63, that's not going to be the type of market improvement that the Bucks seem to be on pace for. Right. So I think right now, because of that, Bud, Bud remains the clear coach of the year front runner. You know, that said, there's still a lot of time if the Bucks fall apart or Golden Boy Brad Stevens figures out. I mean, you know, they, they're having an awful start to the season, but if they bounce back and get hot all of a sudden, he could he could force his way right, right. back into the race too. I'm just going to close this segment off by by giving you the weirdest stat. Okay. Of this NBA season. I'm excited. John Henson. Oh. A guy who just, you know, almost never took threes beforehand. Uh-huh. This year, 40, 46.3% of his shots have been threes. Wow. Wow. Well, now he's out for a grand majority of the he, season, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Yeah. But, I mean, that just goes to show, like, the from an infrastructure perspective, how much Bud just changed this thing. Yeah. Like, the guy with the lowest three-point rate is actually Giannis. <laughs> 14%. That's wild. Yep. Go, bud. I love him. Uh, all right. So we were relatively consensus those first three preseason picks. I mean, Coach of the Year, you at least acknowledge, bud, as a... Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for two bucks, graphic tees for four bucks, shorts for six dollars, and jeans for eight dollars. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just two, four, six, and eight dollars. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and babies styles now at old navy and old navy.com valid 729 to 811 select styles excludes in-store clearance potential candidate you just mm-hmm. your pop love affair continues on yep yep uh we were a little more divided in terms of our next actually defensive player of the year we were pretty unanimous on but we at least said like the next three awards were all more up in the air than the first three so right let's start with six man of the year you yep. had uh, preseason, you had Bobby Portis as your number mm-hmm. one pick. You had Isaiah Thomas as number two, and uh, Malik, Malik Monk, Monk as number three. Yeah. I had just a whole list of players, <laughs> including Tyreek Evans was my pick. But I on the, that episode, I just went through the cases against each player rather than for like JJ Redick. I said I wasn't sure if he's going to start enough games. Turns out right. he is not. He's out. Eric Gordon, I said I just same thing. I didn't know if he was going to start more than come off the bench. Turns out he's shooting like thirty percent overall, so he's not looking great. Uh, Lou Williams, Isaiah Thomas, I Isaiah Thomas, I didn't know if he was going to be healthy. He's not. He's out. Lou Williams, same thing. I just didn't know if he was going to start. If like Bradley or Beverly got hurt uh, or shy, just whatever. The whole the Clippers were just a mystery coming into the year. So. You know, now you brought up a really good candidate to me. So I want you to t- tell the world who should be the sixth man of the year front runner after the first quarter of the season. Well, I I told Twitter yesterday, yes, I believe, and, and Twitter did not respond to me because, you know, Twitter is dumb. Apparently. 
Domanza Sabonis. Yeah. So when you look at the raw line, it's it's okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, 14.7 points, 10 rebounds, 3.3 assists. Those are, you know, if we if you just look at those three numbers, you're thinking, oh, that's that's a nice complimentary starter. Yeah. Like, that's a nice starting power forward. Yeah. 15, 10, and 3. Yeah, that's Taj Gibson, basically. Yeah, basically. Then let's move on to the minutes. Yeah. He's doing this in 24.6 minutes. Mm-hmm. All right, now it becomes a little bit more impressive, right? Like, oh, okay, he's doing it in just over a half a game. That's that's pretty dope, right? Yeah. Then let's look at the free or, or the field goal percentage, sixty six point seven. Mm-hmm. And you're just looking, oh, then he has to be low volume. Well, he's taking eight point seven shots though. It's not high volume, but it's not you know, Andre Robertson volume either. Right. It's it's substantial. He's then shooting 74.4% from the free throw line. Again, for a big, that's fine. And he's doing that on 3.9 attempts per game. And here's the, the caveat again. 24.6 minutes. Taking four free throws a game in just over a half is perfectly accept- acceptable. That's a good rate. Yeah. All that culminates to my point here. His PER is 26.4. Mm. He's leading the damn league in true shooting percentage, 70.6. His per 36 numbers are outrageous. Mm-hmm. 21.5 points, 14.6 boards, 4.8 assists, like and 5.7 free throws per attempt, attempted a game. Yeah. Now, those are the numbers. When you then look at him play, like those were the numbers, and they support what you when you watch him play. Because when he's in there, he is doing whatever he needs to to get the job done. Mm-hmm. Like, he's making the extra pass. He can make the pass on top of the three-point line. He can make it in the post. He can make it from the free-throw line. Like, there's no place this guy cannot deliver a pass. Yeah. He is insanely good in that department. His rebounding is just off the charge. Like, he will go after everything, and he'll go get it. Like, he does take risks, but they're calculated. When he goes out, he looks at who he's trying to box out, and he tra- like he understands that if he has a you know a seven foot two body on him, like maybe it's just like the focus of boxing out and letting you know Victor Oladipo just slide in and get it. Right. But if he has a lower, if he has someone else on him that's roughly his size, where he could just sense, oh, I can outwork him, mm-hmm. like he's gonna go get it and he's gonna start the break. Yeah. And he's also realized his limitations. Which I really appreciate. So in his rookie season in Oklahoma City, he shot he, when he shot the basketball, the average distance was 12.7 feet. Mm. That went down to 7.2 in his first year in Indiana. And this year, it's gone down even further to 5.7. Basically suggesting he's playing around the rim a lot more. Now, most people would say, well, that's not really the modern day big, is it? Where I say... Who cares? He's leading the league in true shooting percentage. It's all about efficiency. It doesn't matter if you're really good at what you do. You could be a traditional post scorer. I don't care if it's old. If you're doing it effectively, it's all good. Mm -hmm. And also, let's break with the whole idea that six man of the year has to be just pure raw points per game. Right. Like, this dude is also averaging 10 boards and 3 assists. Yeah. That matters. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I, like, it. It. I didn't even think because, like, you're right. Usually, it's just like I'm so conditioned to think of six man going to a high scoring guard that, like, I genuinely mm. it just wasn't even on my radar to be like, oh yeah, 
that actually makes sense that Sabonis totally should be the leading candidate right now. I, well, you didn't think about it because he's not American. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah I mean, look, Lou Williams is putting up good raw numbers in terms of points, but he's also shooting 39% from the field. So mm. that hurts his candidacy, I would say. I mean, there's time for him to turn it around. The Clippers are better than expected, so that also is going to help, even though team record really shouldn't matter in these types of awards. But, yeah, I mean, if he, if his field goal percentage goes up, he'll put up a better fight. But right now I think Sabonis is the favorite over him. Really, one of the top candidates, aside from Sabonis, might be Williams' teammate, Montrez Harrell, mm. who is putting up almost 16 points, 7 rebounds, nearly 2 blocks, 1.5 assists, and a steal per game in only 25.8 minutes. I, I hate to do this. I had to correct myself. Okay. And I really hate to correct myself on this one. Uh oh. Sabonis was apparently born in, born in Oregon. Oh no. Uh oh. You called Damn people it. out for Euro bias, and he wasn't actually European. No. no. Well, well, he has dual citizenship. Okay. All right. There you go. You got you got that going. Uh, how about Julius Randall though? Oh, you know what? It's I'm so glad you brought him up because I was actually because of my little crusade yesterday. Yeah, I actually started to dig into the stats, uh-huh. you know, surrounding six men today, and Julius Randle was one of those where I just went, "Don't!" I should have mentioned it <laughs> yeah. because that is really that is really impressive. Yeah. Um. So remember when Lakers fans this summer when when they <laughs> you know when the Lakers renounced him? Yep. Lakers fans were more like, "Oh, it doesn't matter." Like he was overrated anyway. Yep. All right. Um, no, no. It turns out he wasn't, and you know, saying stuff like that is just not very clever. Right. He's averaging eighteen points and nine boards, almost three assists, and doing that in twenty-six minutes a game. And he's getting to the free throw line a ton. Yeah, six point one attempts per game in those minutes. Should we transfer it over to 30, per thirty-six? I think we should, Brian. 25 points a game, 12 and a half boards, almost four assists, and 8.3 free throw attempts per game adjusted to per 36. Yeah. He is outstanding. A PER of 23.4, true shooting percentage of 62.4. Yeah, his defense isn't great, but you know you can make the same argument for Sabonis. Right. And you can also make the same argument for all the other six-man candidates, really, <laughs> right. who, who we have on the radar, again, because we look at their points per game firsthand, mm-hmm. or first off, yep. like, yeah, yep. I think he's he's a clear. At least he should be in the conversation. Spencer Dinwiddie too. Especially, we'll get to your most improved player shortly. But I, I mean, he's just he's one of those guys. Like he's putting up big scoring numbers, but he's also doing it efficiently. Forty-seven yep. percent from the field, nearly thirty-eight percent from three-point range. So he he might fit the mold of just the high scoring guard, whereas you know, well he does more. I mean, right, right, but yeah, like yeah. just the trademark, like yeah, he 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 fills the Jamal Crawford. I score a lot, but he also does more than that. So he, right. he's like fitting both camps. I I still think it's so funny that the Bulls had at one point four point guards on the roster. He was one of them. Uh huh. And they let him go, and he turned out to be the best of the crop that they had. <laughs> right. 
because and I remember that that was just so typical. I was when he turned into becoming something legit in 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 Brooklyn. I started laughing really because it's just that was just so beautiful. You could you could just kind of see it happening, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. It's very very trademark Wells. Oh yeah, it is. But uh, he's he's been wonderful. I he, I have a question regarding Dinwiddie. Mm-hmm. I can't figure out his defense. Because he seems to have, you know, you know, you have players who swing a lot in terms of production. Yeah. Like, you know, some players can be hot or cold offensively. Like deep, the old deep Brown, like from back in the '90s, is the is the stereotypical, um, you know, example of this. Mm-hmm. He would, you know, go five or five from downtown the one night and go zero for seven the other. I feel Spencer Dinwiddie's defense is kind of like that once in a while. Am I just? But but that's like more of an effort thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm really I'm really weirded out by him having these off games defensively, and the next time around looking like a world beater. What are you seeing from him defensively? Yeah, I, no, it's I I'm right with you, and like looking at his defensive box plus minus, he's actually putting up his worst mark ever. He's at minus two point four this year, which doesn't like this is one of those times where the eye test and the stats don't really seem to align because I'm with yeah. you. He doesn't, he doesn't strike me as like a glaring liability on that end. At least he's, I mean, every statistic says he's not above average, but I don't see right. teams going out of their way to target him. So it, I mean, it may just be like part of this could just be circumstantial maybe in terms of like, you know, I, I don't yep. know. I think it's his size that's a little bit weird because he's he, like he's a sturdy six six two hundred pounds right right so and he plays a lot of point guard yeah I think when when opponent point guards who are you know on average smaller mm-hmm. go up against him mm-hmm. they're looking at that size knowing full well he can bump them off mm-hmm. yeah but here's the thing whenever they do decide to attack him it seems like they're winning right. That that's at least that's my eye test eye test interpretation of it. I don't know if it's like, you know, I haven't seen every Brooklyn game obviously, mm-hmm. but but it's just an interesting thing because if the league figures out that he might not be a good defensive minded player, yeah, yeah, then he's obviously going to win six man because that's a criteria. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, let's go into defensive player of the year. You. Oh no. You had Gobert. And I waffled. Sort of had to. You sort I, of had I, Gobert like, too. I just didn't make a pick. I I said Gobert's the safe, like high floor pick because we know what we were getting out of him, and Kawhi is the high ceiling, high risk pick because we don't know what we're getting out of him. But I think he's going to be good and he'll make a big impact on their D. And the upgrade from him to DeRozan will be substantial, which all of that has proved true. When we were, I was DMing you the other night. Yep. About Gobert in particular, because, you know, we were just kind of continuing our conversation about, like, what's wrong with the Jazz right now. They're currently 13th in terms of defensive rating, and Gobert's metrics in particular are much worse than they were last year. And Surprisingly so, to me at least. Yeah, and so here's where at least something that I think is worth discussing in terms of his candidacy, because we were wondering, like, you know the the favors Gobert lineups were working so well last year. They were when those two guys were on the court together. The Jazz had a defensive rating of ninety five point zero last year, which is outrageously good. Mm. This year it's up to one hundred four point six. 
It's almost a 10-point <laughs> swing. Yeah, that's not great. No. Um, <clears throat> so, I don't have an answer. Yeah. I don't know. I, I I mean, I I'm watching these Utah games, and I cannot figure out to translate it into my eyes like what is what is going wrong it it just feels like teams aren't as afraid to go at gobert as they were in years past i mean at least from what i've seen like you know Mm. before it would be like all right guards just like won't go into the lane against him because they know they're going to get rejected but this year it feels like teams are challenging him a little bit more oh that's because of luca (laughs) <laughs> he just like that that little the NBA. yeah yeah he's like don't worry guys i got this <laughs> like he was smiling when he ran down the court after he made it like, i know <laughs> it was so boss yeah yeah maybe i don't know I mean, it's yeah. or maybe he's just not playing as well as it might just like legitimately come down to he just might not be playing as well as he did last year which Right, but again, like defense is a lot about effort. We can because here's the thing: Gobert, like intellectually, defensively, he's brilliant. Mm -hmm. Like we saw that last year, we saw that in the years past. Like he, you can't decline, especially at this age. Right. In terms of you know your mentality, Mm -hmm. like his level of intelligence didn't go down, obviously. Right. So I'm just. I don't know what I'm watching right now. I think it's it's extremely weird that he isn't as effective as before. I mean, it, it also might be, like, their offensive struggles might be feeding into the defense. Like, if you're missing that many shots, oh, yeah. teams can grab the ball, run in transition, and your defense is going to suffer. Whereas if your offense is better, you're going to have more time to get back in half-court sets, which is where he really thrives. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe this Corver edition actually makes a big difference, but... Point is, right now, I don't think Gobert... I don't even think he's in the conversation for Defensive Player of the Year. I would actually agree with you. And that's that's news for me, too, really, yeah. because I hadn't looked up the numbers. I had seen the games, and I had heard, heard all the buzz. And then you actually leave me the numbers, and I was like, oh, come on, it's probably just a mild thing. And then, right. oh, nope, nope, it's not. <laughs> yeah, It's rather significant. And, yeah, I, I mean... Again, I I don't have an answer. It's it's just downright downright weird. Um, yeah, the Jazz offensively. Let's start there. Like you you alluded to it, when they struggle as much as they do offensively, mm-hmm. and they just don't have any more scores than you know Donovan Mitchell's, you know specifically because mm-hmm. I, I you can't have Joe Ingles like you said you just take seventeen shots a game. You right. just can't. You know, it's just so so much pressure. It's like they have to spend so much energy scoring a single field goal mm-hmm. that that energy is just not there when they make it to the other end of the court. And I wonder how much it's playing in as well as in practice because you have to as assume that they're talking about this in practice. Like Quinn Snyder is obviously, hey, where's our, our identity is stopping the ball? Yeah, I mean, that's all fine and good well, but if you can't score the basketball at all, and you're looking at that shot clock consistently going down to like five, four before a shot is even hoisted. Right. Like that's demotivator. Yeah. Like just mentally speaking, you're coming down the other end. Like oh, another failed offensive possession where we didn't, you know, click. Mm-hmm. So basically, what what we're looking at is a team that you're asking to click defensively after you know a, a multitude of you know possessions offensively where they didn't click. 
And I don't think you can separate those two. I think they go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to shout out Damon Rangula, who is a Lakers fan. Because he has been just absolutely killing me on Twitter lately. What he <laughs> he's been coming up with new names for Rudy Gobert, such as French Mozgov or French Roy Hibbert, which every time it just because I bet That's he harsh. I bet he knows how easily triggered the Utah fans are, and I, so I can only imagine his mentions after those. But goddamn, it's funny. Uh, <laughs> that said, Wart, since Gobert is not in the running right now, who do you think? is the front runner for defensive player of the year right now oh man i mean so Kawhi has not played as much as i thought he would yeah and i can't i can't figure out if that should you know not qualify him Mm -hmm. but then i was reminded of something gobert won last year having played 56 games that is correct yep so using that as criteria i'm probably leaning Kawhi, but this is where it gets terrifying We've already talked about Joel Embiid yeah. and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yep. <laughs> Those two are in the conversation. They're averaging you know, 27, 28 points a game. They're still in the Defensive Player of the Year conversation. Mm-hmm. That is you know, that is Michael Jordan uh, insane. You know, He won the Defensive Player of the Year award once. Right. Like while averaging 30 plus. Like that's just, that's completely insane. But here we are. Yeah. They're, they are in the conversation. Who, you know, I actually don't know regarding Draymond Green. Hmm. I don't feel he's been there. I feel, I mean, I could be wrong. He just seems to kind of be taking a back seat and sort of become letting KD become that, you know, the, the rim protector and the all-around defender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think right now disqualifying them, and frankly, it probably disqualifies Embiid too. The Sixers are 15th in terms of defensive rating, or they're tied, I guess, for 14th with the Lakers. The Warriors are 17th. I mean, a lot mm. of that drop-off has been with Steph out, so once he comes right. back, we'll see what happens. But I, I think right now, those two guys are probably, just because of their... I, I think to win Defensive Player of the Year, most of the time, you need to be the anchor of a top five, top six defense. So the Bucks. Well, Jimmy, you just got Jimmy Butler, though. I know, yeah. Like, the Sixers will bounce back. It's, you know, they... Look, I'm just happy that another fan base is now standing for Robert Covington. Like, Minnesota fans have immediately taken to this guy, which makes me so happy. Because, like, I felt like we were shouting into the wind all those years. It's like, hey, mm. Robert Covington's not a patsy, Deadspin. He's not He's not in Philadelphia to help them lose games. Like, he's actually a, a really good defender, and he got first-team all-defense last year as well he should have. He's completely revitalized Minnesota's defense, which is great. But... That said, losing that type of guy from Philly, their defense is inevitably going to take a step back, which it has prior to last night's thumping of the Knicks. So in time, the Sixers will be fine. But right now, I just don't think, just because of their team defense, I think Embiid's probably toward the back of that conversation. Milwaukee is sixth. So I think Giannis does have a pretty solid argument there. Marcus Gasol, though. Yeah, for now. The, Met- For now. the Grizzlies are fifth right now in defensive rating. They're right. you know, they're twelve and eight. They're more competitive than I'd say most people expected coming into the year. Like our mm-hmm. our, our over under pick on the Grizzlies is looking really good right now. I mean Gasol's averaging a career high nine point four rebounds a game, uh a career high one point seven steals a game, one point three blocks. A lot of this might just be like 
<laughs> just almost like a comeback player of the year award after he was so like crappy and sullen last year. Now that like Mike Conley's back and the Grizzlies are competitive again, but like Gasol's playing very well, and I think right now if I had to pick, I, I you know as you said right now, like I don't know if I would pick him as my full year DPOY if we had to make picks for the rest right. of the season. But yeah, right now if the season ended today, I think he probably wins it. Yeah, no, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not a lack of ability. Yeah. It's the fact that he's going to be 34. Yeah. I don't, I mean, if he actually did this, I would be very impressed. Yeah. I just have this this theory that he is eventually going to drop off a little bit just because of age, mm-hmm. honestly. That's fair. I mean, he's 7'1", 265, 70. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a lot of weight to run around with at an age 34. That's very fair. I could just see, yeah, I mean, again, he's been great, and it's a, a lot about positioning and understanding, you know, where, <laughs> how the defense moves, or the offense, sorry, how the offense moves and how to react to that. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just smart. He's always been smart. Yeah. Um, and I think, in, to some extent, he's probably going to get screwed out of it, you know, because he's never had, like, the great defensive numbers when the that one year when he won he actually won the award once that's also the first and only season he's made all defensive team mm-hmm. like that's it he's never made another mm-hmm. and I, I you know it, that was five years ago yeah so i'm just i i have a feeling that the league has sort of moved on and will be slow to like re rekindle that fire that's fair yeah yeah i mean look the Raptors are seventh right now in defense rating. So if Kawhi stays healthy, he's going to have a good shot too. This one just feels like totally wide open still. Yeah. Paul George. Yeah. My Thunder. My, my Thunder yeah. leading the league in defensive rating. That's nice. I know. It, That's very nice. I, I look forward to seeing them play hard-nosed defense as they lose in the first round. <laughs> While Russ puts up a 30, 20, and 15. Yeah, because that's what matters. Yeah. All right, boy. Let's close things out with most improved player. I am. I am so sad for you because you mm-hmm. had Karis Levert as your MIP mm-hmm. pick, and it was I just did. so effing spot on. Like that dude. Of course. Was... Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year: up to sixty percent off all back to school styles for kids and baby. Get flip flops for two bucks, graphic tees for four bucks, shorts for six dollars, and jeans for eight dollars. Right now, get the best kids styles at kid size prices: just two, four, six, and eight dollars. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in store free today. Up to sixty percent off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid seven twenty nine to eight. 11 select styles excludes in-store clearance killing it and then he gets hurt he's probably you know he might come back this season we don't know but like he's gonna miss too much time to actually win the award but if he stayed healthy that was spot on man yeah i'm i'm very much pissed not not for my pick but for him because you know he was finally looking fully healthy no nagging injuries whatsoever Mm mm-hmm and then, ironically, against Memphis, he goes down, and I mean, thank God it wasn't worse than yeah, what it was. Yeah. I think it was an ankle. Do you look? What he dislocated Dislo- his ankle? Yeah, but it looked. Yeah. I mean, it looked like a Look, Paul George part oh, yeah, two yeah, or yeah, Gordon yeah. Hayward part yeah, two. Yeah, it did. It, it just looked horrific. Yeah, but man, he deserved this so bad. I'm so I'm so upset. Yeah, yeah. 
He would have. I mean, he really would have been right in that conversation. Uh, my pick, Brandon Ingram. <laughs> not so much. Not looking so good for that one. If I had a mulligan, if I had a mulligan on any one of my picks, and keeping in mind that I had Tyreek Evans as my sixth man, I think I would still mulligan Brandon Ingram because that's just. Well, that's because you cheated. I mean, it. I have a rule, Brian. I know, but like the logic was sound. He was first of all, you're you're his first to second year guys usually, but then also. Well, that's part of my yeah, rule. Top five, top ten picks. I know. No lottery. Okay. Well, regardless, LeBron was supposed to make it better. Instead, their mishmash of misfit parts just isn't fitting well, and I, whatever. So. Well, who <laughs> saw that coming? I know, right? So. Who would you pick now, since Levert is unfortunately not going to win the award and Ingram breaks your rules? Well, on his I mind. have a different, I have a different player, and no, no one person ever inspired me to choose this guy, Pascal Siakam. <laughs> oh, great! Oh wow! <laughs> now you mentioned Pascal. Yeah. Uh, fair to yeah, yeah. Uh, and and you know it's funny because I hadn't even considered him. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know why? Because he's just doing all the dirty stuff. Right. And that's so good. And that's why I just... I, I'm going to admit full on, I got you know I got Kawhi watching yeah. and, and Kyle Lowry watching that I just completely zoned out on what, what Pascal Siakam did. Mm-hmm. I'll take that one on me because you're absolutely right. I, need, I mean, I need to go back and really center in on Siakam a little bit more. Yeah, but that team, that Raptors team, that's there's so many interesting players that you look at. Like then Serge Ibaka is having a career year. Mm-hmm. Jonas Valanciunas off the bench is playing a, a career low. I think it is 19 and a half minutes, but he's averaging a career high in points right. and is just flat out beasting everyone and everything. So he's just Siakam is one of those subplots that I just missed. But you're absolutely right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, well, shout out to Josh Howe, who just wrote a column on Raptors Republic about Siakam. So if you want to read more about that, check that out. Because, yeah, I mean, he, as you said, like the, the Raptors, the big stories have been obviously Kawhi and Lowry. But Siakam has almost doubled in terms of his points output from last year. He started all but one game this season. I mean, he's, he's leading the league in two-point field goal percentage. He's shooting almost 70% from two. You know, he's averaging almost seven rebounds, two assists, a steal, almost a block, and only 29.2 minutes per game. My concern is that, you know, usually the MIP guy needs to average even more points. Like, it needs to be a more substantive jump, or, like, they need to go from barely contributing to, like, all-star caliber, like Oladipo last year, CJ McCollum a couple years ago. Like, I'm not sure that... Right. Siakam rises to the level of like, oh wow, look at what this guy is doing, unless a bunch of smart people come out and say, oh wow, look at what this guy is doing, and like draw attention to him, which, you know, might be the case as we get further and further down the year. Um, I mean, your guy for six man, Sabonis, also strikes me as a really good pick for this award. Yeah, yeah, he could totally be there. I mean, the advanced metrics are making him look like a star, yeah. at the very least. Defensively, he's not, <laughs> right. which is, that is where he's lacking a, a little bit. Um, whereas Siakam, he's he's actually the total package in a way. I mean, his three-pointer 
has improved drastically, albeit it's low volume, admittedly, so it can swing rather quickly. Mm-hmm. But I really love the fact that Toronto last year and this year is just allowing him to shoot. Yeah. Like, hey, you know what? If you have an open shot, take it. Doesn't matter. It's like they had sort of that same mentality as the Sixers did during the process. Mm-hmm. Like with all those weird guys that <laughs> made it into that locker room. Just like, yeah, shoot a three. That's fine. See what you can make on it. I think Henry Sims started taking threes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of like that philosophy with, yeah. with players who aren't yet sure whether they can make jump shots. I have one other guy that I want to at least mention, even though he violates right. both of your rules. Oh, for God's sakes, Brian. De'Aaron Fox. No. No, he's 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 great. He violates my rules. I'm not going to buy it. I mean, he's a second-year guy. He's a top-five pig, even. Mm-hmm. He's great. Yeah. He's absolutely great, but he's supposed to get better. That's, that's the entire idea of being a high lottery pig. <laughs> right. I'm thinking just in terms of, A, the Kings being more competitive than people expected coming into the year. That would Mm -hmm. help him. But if they fall off, probably so too goes his MIP chances. But, like, I'm impressed by his rise, his, like, drastic rise in efficiency. He shot 41% last year, 47% this year, uh, below 31% from three last year, 38% this year. Not on a super high volume, but like that was his weakness coming in to the NBA. Was like, can this guy learn to shoot? If he's shooting thirty eight percent, that really kind of kills a lot of the concerns about him, right? It does totally. And can I tell you a secret? Mm-hmm. You know who I had second on my big board last year? I do remember. Remind me who you had first again? Markel Fultz. <laughs> yeah. Just like everyone else in the world, I Brian. Know, I know. Oh well, we're. I think at this point we're waiting until his specialist meeting, whatever, is over. But Mort's gonna have to talk me out of devoting an entire pod to him. I I think we're we're gonna ultimately because so many reports have come out now saying the Sixers are like done with him and want to trade him, and now there's some speculation about like which teams might be interested. So we very well in the near future may be having a full. Where can the Sixers right. trade Markel Fultz? Podcast. And I have you in my DMs at <laughs> one in the morning, coming up with with trades that are extremely lopsided to yeah. Philly. Yep. Yeah, it's great. Yep, it's fun. Get excited! By the way, I I just want to wrap this up with one thing. Mm-hmm. So let's let's assume the following happens. Okay. Okay. Giannis wins MVP. Yep. Luca obviously wins Roy. You know, six man of the year is Sabonis. Okay. Um, defensive player of the year is. Embiid, mm-hmm. because that could happen. Sure. And the most most improved player is Siakam. Mm. What is the... <laughs> Common denominator of all yeah. those players? Yeah. Well, everyone but yeah. Sabonis is... Who's half. Right. He counts as half. Right. And then if Bud wins Coach of the Year, he's not grown up in, solely in the American ecosystem. Right. Yeah. It's, I would just like to point out once more that the hypocrisy is real. Right. Again, American players aren't the only ones who know how to play basketball. But right. don't tell anyone because I would like the teams that have figured that out to keep that advantage to themselves. That is true. That is true. Like, please. I, I mean, I know the Kings are dipping into international waters, so 
It's wrong to make fun of them for picking Bagley over Doncic, but we still have to make is fun. It? Yeah, right. Yeah. We, is it, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I kind of... Could you imagine De'Aaron Fox and Luka Doncic? Right? Well, no. They were afraid of having two ball handlers. Because Lord knows it's not working with Dennis Smith Jr. and Luka Doncic. This is this is a podcast, so you can't see me, but I am rubbing my <laughs> eyes very hard, and I am extremely frustrated. Yep. 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 All right. Well, before we alienate any more Kings fans, let's let's call it there. We like De'Aaron Fox. I I would throw him in the race for MIP, even though it violates Morse rules. So there you go. Kings oh wait, fans. defensive player of the year could be Marcus Saul, and it would still be applicable. Yeah. What I just said. Yeah. There you go. Uh, all right. So next time. Potentially a false episode, barring any other breaking news. Until then, follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. Just start lobbing false trade ideas into my mentions too. Let's let's get wacky here with these because uh, we're gonna need some inspiration. I need someone just needs to tell me what his market value is because I have genuinely no idea. Uh, well, it's certainly not Bobby Portis and Justin Holiday. Come on, <laughs> we'll see. Real. We'll see. Uh, also, please follow us on iTunes. You could subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews, and we are now being hosted on Spreaker. So please follow them on Twitter, at Spreaker. Until next time, I'm Brian Teporek, and I was joined, as always, by Morton Jensen. Have a good one, Mort. You too, Brian. Take care, man. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-sized prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-sized prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance.